Good morning, everyone. How are you today? He, he is risen. It's just fun to say it. It's fun to say it. I, I've been thinking a lot about that phrase. I want to circle back to it in a minute and, uh, and kind of talk about what that phrase means. And I've been actually even thinking about an alternative. I know that's probably sacrilegious, but it's exciting to, to gather today and, uh, and to be celebrating the resurrection of Christ together. My name is Darren, and I'm one of the shepherds here on staff. It's so nice to see you all here. So nice for those of you who are watching from home. Uh, we're sorry that you're not with us. We totally get that, whether you're in the neighborhood or whether you're around the world. No matter where you're at, this morning, it is a great privilege to be able to gather together. And I don't know about you, but it's been a real long time since we've had the opportunity to just kind of be family together. And this feels really nice. So I'm thankful, you know, on top of other things. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, I, I get emotional in worship and then it just sort of carries on too. But I'm really thankful for this family and it's nice to be gathered with you this morning. When we talk about resurrection, uh, that does a lot of different things in different people's minds. We know we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Uh, and, and there's different ways that different people think differently about this. One of the things that's exciting about our Easter service, we've got a lot of kids here today. And when you think about resurrection, kids, when you think about what it means, both that Jesus rose from the dead, but that because he rose from the dead, that we also are given life. I mean, maybe you get excited about different stuff. Maybe you're excited about, you know, having a relationship with God. Maybe you're excited about how much that means that Jesus loves you. Maybe you're thinking about what it will be like someday to... Uh, to walk on streets of gold or to go to heaven when you die or to have your prayer. I mean, there's so many really cool things about the resurrection that Jesus offers us. I remember one time I was having a conversation with my son, Hank, uh, who is grown now. He's 18. But when he was little, he was like, I think it was like three or four. And we were having a conversation one day about resurrection. And he had just been at Sunday school in the morning. And so he comes and he's, uh, he's in the car. And I said, what did you learn at Sunday school today? And he goes, oh, dad, today we learned about heaven. And I said, oh, that sounds pretty cool. What did, what did you learn about heaven? And he goes, dad, in heaven, there's a gold street. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. A gold street. He goes, dad, teacher says in heaven, we can eat whatever we want, anytime we want. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like that might be stretching the theology a little bit, but we'll, uh, we'll just go. I don't want to argue with the Sunday school teacher, you know? And he goes, dad, but the best thing is best thing of all. He goes, dad, did you know that in heaven, we won't feel any pain? And I was like, yeah, isn't that so cool? We're not going to, all the pain will be gone. All the sorrow, all the tears are gone. In heaven, we won't feel any pain. He goes, dad, we'll be able to punch each other in the face as hard as we want, not even feel it. And I'm like, yeah. All right. So, so for him as a little guy, he's looking forward to heaven and he's thinking about the golden octagon, right? You know, he's got like kind of an MMA thing in his head. He's looking forward to some ultimate fighting in eternity. We all sort of think about resurrection in different ways. And I hope that it gets you excited. The idea of resurrection and the implications for our life today, the implications for our life in the future, the implication for our world. That's what we want to talk about. But before we get into that in greater depth, I also want to say that for these ladies, we just read this text out of the, out of the gospel here, out of Luke. And for these ladies that went to the tomb, when they went to the tomb, they weren't excited about resurrection. In fact, in some ways... They were, they were very, very heartbroken. It's easy for us in hindsight, as we celebrate Easter, we have a little pancake breakfast or whatever, to think of it purely in terms of joy, right? Easter, purely in terms of joy. But on the first Easter, that morning didn't begin with joy, right? And so I want us just for a second to think about the heartbreak and the loss and the powerlessness that these friends of Jesus, these women who went to his tomb would have felt on that first Easter morning. They were going essentially to prepare his body for final rest in the Hebrew tradition. They were taking spices and things. They were under the impression this was the last time they would see his corpse. 
And so this wasn't a day of joy for them. They weren't looking forward to the sunrise. They weren't looking forward to a celebration with their families. They were mostly looking forward to more tears and more crying. As I was thinking about it, I was thinking about for them that they would be reflecting on all they had lost. Their dreams that were caught up in this Messiah. That their dreams that were caught up in this rabbi, Jesus, who they'd been walking with and listening to and learning from for these many years. This Jesus that they'd shared meals with. This Jesus that they'd watched heal the sick and care for the poor. And now all of a sudden this Jesus is gone. So think about the loss they're feeling. Think about the loss of their dreams, the loss of their friend. Think about the frustration they might be feeling with the corruption of their religious leaders and feeling the kind of bankruptcy of like, can we trust the religious leaders? Because at some level, it's the religious leaders who were calling for the death of Christ. So where are we going to go to church? What are we going to do now? Because it feels like the whole religious system is corrupt. They would have been frustrated, I think, on that Easter morning with the political system of the time. That the Romans didn't do anything to stop this, even though they had said that he was innocent. They didn't call it off. So these women on their way to the tomb to say goodbye to the corpse of their master and friend would have been really, really discouraged, I think. The loss of their dreams, the loss of their friend, the corruption of their religious system, the corruption of their government, the violence of what they had witnessed, the injustice of it. I think they would have been asking themselves, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? We're going to prepare Jesus's body for final rest. And then, and then what, what are we going to do this afternoon? We got nowhere to go. Everything was wrapped up in this man. And so where do we go? They would have been feeling a profound sense of the brokenness of our world, a profound sense of their own powerlessness to fix it. And I don't know about you, but I would guess that as you've lived in this world over the last year and a half, you may feel a profound sense of the brokenness of our planet the brokenness of mankind. And maybe you're feeling the, the, the distinct powerlessness of not being able to do anything about that. We live in a broken world. And we've seen that time and time again, sort of uh, uh, like maximized over the last year. But it's always been the case. The Bible teaches that we have a fundamental flaw, that humanity has a fundamental brokenness each and every one of us share. God created the world. He created it for us to know him and to have a relationship with him, to worship him. In fact, we're starting a study next Sunday uh, in the book of Genesis called Walking with God. And we're going to be looking at, at the beginning of human history and God's purpose in that. God's purpose was to walk with his people. He creates this garden. He walks with them in presence. He creates them to know him and to love him and to be known by him and loved by him. And yet we see as we progress in our study of Genesis in the next month or so, we will see what's called the fall of man. That man had the opportunity to glorify God and to enjoy this relationship, this creation with him. And yet because we were given the option to disobey and we took the option to disobey, our relationship with God was broken. Sin entered the world because of disobedience. And the Bible teaches that that sin not only affected those original sinners, but that sin affects all of us. We feel it, don't we? We can't really look back at Adam and go, well, all the brokenness in the world is just his fault. We have to look at our own hands. We have to look at our own minds. We have to look at our own hearts and go, no, there's a brokenness here too. The selfishness and the greed, right? The deceit, the, 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 the lack of courage, the lack of love, the hatred, the injustice, the inequality. We see brokenness. Like, I don't, I don't think I have to go very far to say we live in a broken world. You feel it every time you drive on the freeway, right? Every time you drive on the freeway, you feel these, none of these other people know how to drive. Have you ever felt like that? 
None of these other people know how to drive. And that communicates both the reality of the brokenness of everybody else and something about the brokenness of the guy who's saying nobody else knows what they're doing. Maybe I'm just talking about myself. But we feel the brokenness of this world. We feel our own powerlessness. And when that sin entered into the equation, this relationship between God, not only were those, those original humans cast out of the garden, but it created this brokenness in relationship with God. A brokenness that existed then and that will exist for all eternity. In fact, the Bible teaches that because of the sin in our lives, we are set to be separated from God forever. Separated from Him forever because of our sin, because of our failure to glorify Him in thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes. Sin can sometimes be a hard word to understand, but it's actually not very complicated. The deal is that at the base of us, we were built to be worshipers. We were built to worship God in the things we think, in the things we do, in the things we say, even in the, in the internal attitudes we have. And you and I fail to do the thing we were built to do all the time. That's sin. It's just a failure to glorify God in all of our capacities. That brokenness separates us from him now and it will separate us from him for eternity. And I think we feel it. I think even if you're someone who's sitting in the service today and, and you came at the invitation of a friend, you don't know much about the Bible, you don't know much about Jesus, you feel the profound brokenness of our world. You feel your own powerlessness to fix it. We don't like that feeling of powerless, do we? We like to be in control. We like to be able to solve it. I was, at, uh, I was in Phoenix uh, two weeks ago. We went out to visit my son, Hank, who is out there going to college. And we were very careful about where we went and all that because uh, spring training's going on. And we didn't, you know, it's like a lot of crowds in Phoenix. But we went to Chick-fil-A on this one day. I know you guys don't want to hear me talk about fast food, but I can't help it. So we went to Chick-fil-A and they had some outdoor tables. So we were sitting there, but we ordered our food online. And then I went in, they called our name. I went in to pick up our drinks. The girl comes out from behind the counter. She's got the tray with our drinks on it. And she goes, are you Darren? And I said, yeah. And so she held this thing out. So I kind of reached, I kind of had to reach through her arm to grab the tray and, uh, and she goes, where are you sitting? So now we're here. She's holding the tray. I'm holding the tray with the drinks on it, right? She goes, where are you sitting? And I said, well, we have a, I'm trying to point with my elbow. I'm like, we have a table outside there on the patio. That's my family right there. And she goes, okay. She goes, well, you know, if you just take the drinks out there, then I will, uh, then I'll bring out the food in a second. And I said, okay. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to get this tray, you know? And she goes, just go ahead and take the drinks out there and, and I will bring you your food. And I'm like, right, I know, but you're, you're like, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to, st- I'm still trying to, we're having basically a wrestling match between me and this like 14 year old girl that's working in Chick-fil-A. Trying to t- and she, she finally goes, sir, will you please take your hands off my tray? And I was like, oh, I, I thought I was supposed to take the whole thing, right? So then I just take the, I just took the little carrying thing with the drinks in it and everything was solved. She just wanted, she wanted to use the tray to hand me the carrier. And I just wanted, she, I like, she, I think she was convinced that I just desperately wanted that tray, you know? So we get into these fights where we're trying to have control. Sometimes we don't even realize what's going on. We're fighting for power and control. We feel our own powerlessness. And that leads to a sense of discouragement and despair. By the time we come to the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah at the end of Isaiah, the people are so discouraged. Some of them have returned from exile and they're so discouraged by the state of Jerusalem, the state of brokenness that they find their world in, that God actually tells them he's going to do something new. In Isaiah chapter 65, maybe you don't think about Isaiah as an Easter text, but it absolutely is. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, God says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I created Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. God looks at his people in their powerlessness and in their despair, in their discouragement over the fallenness and brokenness of the world. And he says, I'm going to make everything new. 
I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And in fact, you go all the way to the end of the Bible, you can go to Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, which is an apocalyptic book, a prophetic book that talks about the end of human history on earth. In Revelation 21, this is what John says in, John, uh, in, in Revelation 21.1. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So God promises to the people of Israel in Isaiah, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. Then we see at the end of time that that promise is fulfilled. That all of the brokenness and all of the pain and all of the injustice and all of the hatred and all of the sorrow, that it will be repaired and restored. God is on a mission of restoration to put things back to the way they were when he first created them. He promises this to the people in Isaiah and then they go into a waiting pattern. They go into waiting. God has said, I'll create a new heaven and a new earth. We know it will come. But then the people are waiting. So then we come to this Easter morning, the story we've read about. And I want you to notice a couple of significant things in the Easter story. Maybe you didn't notice before. I want you to see in the text we read earlier in Luke chapter 24. I want you to see that the very first way he describes this. And we know this because we're gathering on a Sunday. But it says here on the first day of the week at early dawn. You might not think much about the fact that the resurrection happened on the first day, but I want you to understand this morning that's significant. It doesn't happen on Sunday because God was trying to establish when we would do church, although that ended up happening. The resurrection happens on the first day because God is trying to send a a signal flare to the world. New creation has come. The first day, go all the way back to Genesis. What happens on the first day? God speaks and it comes into being. God speaks and there is light, right? How does John refer to Jesus in the gospel of John? He refers to Jesus as what? The light and the life. He refers to Jesus as the logos or the word of God. So think about God's spoken word in Genesis 1. And now come to Luke 24 and see that when it says it's on the first day, he's trying to signal to us first day means the beginning of the new time. The beginning of the new creation. And there are all kinds of cool parallels. I don't think it's insignificant that the resurrection of Christ happens in a garden. I don't think it's insignificant that Jesus is called the very spoken word of God. That he is the light of the world. I don't think it's insignificant. In fact, some people have said, you know, you've got these women there and you've got Jesus. Jesus is considered sort of the new Adam. And we'll look at a text that says that in a second. We don't have an Adam and Eve with one man and one woman, but what we do have now in the new creation is Christ and his bride. You know who Christ's bride is? It's not one singular woman. It's not Mary Magdalene or any of these other women that were at the tomb. You know who the bride is? It's us, the church, the disciples. And guess who was there in the garden on the first day? Christ and his bride, the followers of Jesus. This symbolism is not accidental. This signaling by God to us is not accidental. What he's he's saying is, I promised you that I would do something new. And in Christ, I am doing it. I am doing it. These women, they go to the tomb. And Jesus is not there. The angel tells him, it's just like you heard. Jesus isn't dead. He rose from the grave. Now, Jesus did come to the earth. And you may know this story already. But Jesus came to the earth, fully God and fully man. He came to the earth on a very specific mission. And that was to make all things new. Jesus came and he took the sin of the world upon himself. And when I say that, I really don't want you to think about the people on the L.A. freeways. I want you to think about you. When I say he came to take the sin of the world, don't think about all the wickedness you see around you. Think about your own brokenness. Think about your own powerlessness. Think about all the things you wish you could take back that you said that you regret or the things you wish you did that you didn't do, right? 
God came to take our sin, yours and mine, our brokenness, that very thing that separates us from God. He came to pay the penalty for that. Why? Because otherwise we would have had to do that. Jesus comes and the Bible calls him an atonement, a substitute, a sacrifice in our place. Jesus takes the sin of the world, you and me upon himself. He dies on the cross, not because he had earned that or because he deserved it. He died on the cross, not because he was tricked by the Romans or tricked by his disciples or whatever. Jesus died on the cross because he intended to die there. He sacrificed himself. He went to the cross. In fact, in John, which we studied not too long ago, he says, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it back up again. That was his choice. Jesus went to the cross because he wanted to glorify the Father by loving us and redeeming us. Jesus dies on the cross and he sheds his blood. He's buried dead. We celebrated that on Friday night. We grieved it and we celebrated it. It's hard to do those two things together. But in the death of Christ, we can grieve and celebrate. Jesus died for us, but he didn't stay dead. These women go to the tomb with all of their grief and all their powerlessness and all their questions about the religious system and the political system and their friend and all their hopes dashed on the rocks. And when they get there, the tomb is empty and the angel says, who are you looking for? Jesus, he's not here. He told you he's going to rise again. And that's exactly what he did. Listen, when Jesus walks out of the tomb, he proves that he has the power to bring new life, new creation. Not only did Jesus conquer death on that day, not only did he conquer sin, but then the Bible teaches that by his grace, he extends that same conquering power to us. 1 Corinthians, just to give you a picture of this, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So there are three things that happen here when Jesus walks out of the tomb. Not only does he prove that he has the power over death in his own life. He conquers death personally. But he also proves that in the same way that Adam brought death for all men, he can then extend life to all men and women. That every person sitting in this room, no matter what depth of brokenness, no matter what depth of despair, no matter what you've done wrong, no matter where you've been, the power of God is enough to rescue you. That's why we call Jesus a savior. He saves us from sin and death. And he extends that resurrection power to you free. It's not a trade. There's no bartering. It's not about giving money or doing good deeds. It's not about going to church. It's not about wearing the right clothes. You couldn't earn it. Neither can I. God knew that. And so by his grace, undeserved favor, he gives us this resurrection life by faith. It says when we believe in him, we can be made new. New creation in Christ New creation in Christ for us. That's why when, uh, when we, on Easter we say he is risen, I know the standard is to say he is risen indeed. But to me that just feels like an affirmation of the fact that he's risen, which is fine. But man, I'll tell you in my guts, when somebody says he is risen, what I want to say is as am I in him. He is risen as am I in him. And so shall the world be. Because there's a third aspect to this. The resurrection of Christ is not just about him conquering death. It's not just about him giving us resurrection life. It's also the first firing shot across the bow of the enemy that says, this battle is over. 
The new creation has come on the first day in the garden with Christ and his bride, the light of God, the word of God. In that place, God declared to those that he promised in Isaiah, I will make a new thing. On Easter Sunday, he says, and now we're getting cooking. I was thinking about an illustration of this, and the best illustration I could think of is this gigantic scaffolding I see behind me, right? I don't know if you can see that, but the work back there is not done. We kind of hoped it would be done. It takes a little bit of time. But man, what do you see when you see that scaffolding? Maybe you see something ugly. Maybe you see something you wish was gone. For me, I see the beginnings of something beautiful that will be completed in time. The resurrection of Christ is a signal to the world. Yeah, are the drivers on the LA freeway crummy? You bet they are. Yeah, do you sometimes say things you shouldn't say? Do we live in a broken world? Do you have questions about the loss of friendships, about the loss of relationships? You have questions about the religious system. You have questions about the political system. You feel like the world is bankrupt. It is. But God has said, I will make something new. I will make a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And right now we live in the scaffolding. But the scaffolding is up. And the victory is done. I don't know if you've ever played chess with somebody who's better than you. Have you ever played chess with somebody who's better than you? It's not, it's not awesome. But... I have multiple times played chess with people who are better than me. And there's a thing that happens in their eyes where the game is over and yet they keep playing with me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like they've already read it like six or seven moves out and they just keep moving the pieces. I don't know, to humor themselves, to humor me. I don't know. Can I tell you that is what Jesus is doing with Satan today? Yes, there is still brokenness in our world. Yes, there is still sorrow. Yes, there is pain. We've gone through a horrendous year of incredible division. Is everything perfected? No, it isn't. But is the game over? Yes, it is. Christ is victorious. We put our faith in Christ and we are made new. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The reality is that we're living in a season of the, 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 the birthing pains of this world, this new creation that's being made. And we do see the kingdom of God breaking in. We see this new creation breaking in, God restoring all things. But in the meantime, we look to the resurrection, of power, the resurrection power of Jesus, which proves beyond a shadow of doubt that no matter how disparaging things can feel, discouraging things can feel, no matter how down and powerless and broken things seem, Jesus is not gone. Jesus has not been defeated. Jesus has not abandoned us. He is with us and his plan is at work on our behalf even today. So we live in hope. But I want to be clear, it's not just, it isn't just personal hope. Now, let me say this. If you're here today and maybe what I just described to you is called the gospel. You may have heard the word gospel before. All that means is good news. And the good news for you as an individual is this. If you've never put your faith in Christ, 
You can be rescued from sin and death right where you sit, right in this moment. There's nothing, there's no, uh, you know, smoke, I, no incense I need to light. There's no fancy ceremony we got to go through. It is literally the humbling of your heart before Jesus Christ. If you will turn to Christ right where you sit and say, I know I'm broken. I know I'm powerless. I know this world is broken. I want that new creation that you offer by your grace. He will save you in that moment. He will save you. At the sunrise this morning, we talked about David in Psalm 27 saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. That means he gives me what I need for life. That's what light is. It provides life. And in being our salvation, it means he takes away what would otherwise cause death. You put your faith in Jesus today and he will, he will be your light and your life, your stronghold, your sure foundation. He will be the one you can run into and find safety and, and dwell in his presence and have hope for the future that you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's Psalms 27. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, I would say I wouldn't wait another second. If I was, when I understood the gospel, when I understood that I could go to heaven, that I could have resurrection life now that would continue into eternity, a restored relationship with Jesus, no, nobody had asked me twice. I was like, let's go. I put my faith in Jesus and I was made new in that moment. That can happen for you right here today. But I also want you to see, those of you who've put your faith in Christ, there, there are many of you, I think, who've already put your faith in Christ at some point in the past. And for those of us who put our faith in Christ, there can sometimes be the temptation to live our lives like the ladies going to the tomb instead of the ladies leaving the tomb. Does that make sense? That sometimes for us, even though we know we're going to heaven or we know we have this resurrection life, we know our sins have been forgiven, we tend to look at the world around us with sorrow and despair and discouragement and powerlessness and frustration. Can I tell you that for followers of Christ who understand that the resurrection was a signal flare declaring this work is done. The scaffolding is up and it's only a matter of time before the creation is restored. When you understand that, then there is all kinds of opportunity to live lives of hope, to live lives of radiant peace and revolutionary kindness. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who also gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If this is your first time visiting our church, if you've come with family or friends, can I tell you, this is what the church is all about? Fullerton Free and all the other churches that followed the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we about? We're about being an embassy of this hope, about being a place where people can come and see that new creation has come and is coming. It has already been declared and it is over time, death is being conquered. It says in Romans that he will put all of his enemies under his feet. So we have the opportunity not to live like people who are on our way to the tomb, but to live like people who are on our way away from the tomb declaring the glory of a resurrected Jesus, a resurrected church.
and a new creation that encompasses and restores all the brokenness. That's what Easter is all about. That's why we celebrate on Easter. I wonder, I know it's hot. I know you're tired. I wonder if really quickly, just for a moment of contemplation, if you'd bow your heads with me. And in the quietness of this, before we pray, I just want you to to take a moment of self-reflection. I want you to look into the inside of you where the truth lies. Not your posturing, not your answers. But in the quietness of your own heart, I want you to ask yourself, have you ever trusted in Jesus to raise you from the dead? Have you ever trusted in Jesus, put your faith in Christ to save you from sin? Have you turned from your old life and turned to Jesus to be made new? And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, in the quietness of this moment, I just want to invite you to do that right now. Wherever you're at, you might just, there's no magic prayer, but you might just say something like, Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you rose from the dead in order to rescue me from sin and death. I also believe that I can't save myself and I need you. I put my faith in you. Will you save me and begin this new creation in me? We believe according to the scripture that when you pray that or something similar to that, the sentiment is what matters, not the words, that in that moment you are made new. What that means is that there are some of you sitting here today who were spiritually dead when you came but you leave spiritually alive by the grace of Christ. And if that's you today, let me just say, at the end of the service, they're going to give you an opportunity to get connected. Um, Walking with Jesus is, is not something we do in isolation. It's not something we do alone. It's something we do in community. So if you're here today and you put your faith in Christ, we want to talk to you about that. We want to walk alongside. We want to be family with you. So there are ways you can connect. You can talk to one of us with a name badge today. You can fill out a card. You can, uh, you, you can send us an email But don't just walk away and forget what's happened here. We want to celebrate this with you, this new life in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this new creation. We, We confess the ways in which we are complicit in the brokenness of this world, in which we see that brokenness working even in our own mortal flesh. And it's because of that complicity, God, that we are so grateful for the ways in which you are restoring all things and redeeming all things. We thank you that we are the first fruits of a fulfilled restoration that will happen in the entirety of the world and that you've given us the opportunity to be a first taste of that to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, that they have the opportunity to see your peace and your kindness, to see your engagement, God, to see the oddity of who you are in us. We pray, God, that you would stir in the hearts of those who maybe have just put their faith in you that you would give them the courage to take the next step to follow you faithfully. We pray for those in this uh, space today who maybe, even though they've put their faith in you, even though they've been set free from sin and death, maybe they live their lives like these women on the way to the tomb instead of these women on their way away from the tomb, understanding that something completely new has happened. We thank you for this new creation. We thank you for your purpose and your design. And we thank you that you invite us into that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.